Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. So if you're new here, welcome. My name is Matthew, and I'm the lead pastor here. It's really good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm going to read to us from the the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have Bibles and you want to follow along, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And um, I'm going to read, it's a pretty long section, verses 4 to, to 20. So let's read this together. One day when Elkanah sacrificed, or on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, his other wife, he would give a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, the other wife, used to provoke her severely, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. As she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, she made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? That's jumping to conclusions. Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my great anxiety and vexation all this time. And then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant you the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. And then the woman went to her quarters. She ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a long passage of scripture. Um, and you might be wondering, why are we reading such a long story? That's very strange. And it's because, as I said last week, these two sort of final weeks of ordinary time, before next Sunday is Christ the King Sunday and then it's Advent, these last two weeks of ordinary time, we're just going to sit in these stories in the Old Testament and where we find sort of desperate characters and see how in the middle of their desperation, when they've sort of reached a limit in themselves, they're able to find God in that space and, and what that does for us in the, the moment, the season that we're living in, it invites us to similarly find God in the space that we are in right now. We are experiencing societally, nationally, globally right now, uh, just a hard, long, wearying stretch of time that has sort of dragged on for years now. We're coming up on the two-year anniversary, and there have been, of course, bright spots along the way. The re-release of Taylor's Red album this week being probably the, the most important one of them. But 
But besides that great moment in history, we, we are, we're at this place where it's like there's just a general sort of fatigue. Um, there's increasing um, consumption of, of, of substances in order to try to, to numb pain. Um, there is increasing issues around mental health and depression and anxiety, all the way from little kids up to the oldest among us that are experiencing life right now and under a hardship. And the question is, is how do we, in a time of desperation, find God in that space? So our model today, the person who shows us how to do it, is this woman named Hannah. We're going to learn from her today on how one might find God in the midst of a, of a season of darkness. As we saw, Hannah is one of two wives, um, but she is the childless one. Um, and uh, Robert Alter, the Old Testament scholar, um, just this is pretty obvious, I'm sure, but he says all annunciation stories, so this is an, an annunciation story just as the story, the announcement that John the Baptist will be born to, um, to Elizabeth or that Jesus to Mary. All annunciation stories must be understood, he says, in the light of the prevalent ancient Near Eastern view that, here it is, a woman's one great avenue to fulfillment in life is through the bearing of sons. Um, this probably, that's probably not surprising to you if you're, you know, like just even somewhat aware of world history and how, how that's worked. Um, uh, and yet it's still an indicator of how, I think throughout uh, time, I'll just say this briefly, throughout time, uh, for women in particular, there has been like an, uh, a connection or a, almost like a synonym between like womanhood and motherhood that feel like they're basically the same thing in a way that like manhood and fatherhood, that, that's not true for them. Like they, they feel like two, two separate vocations. But even to this day, uh, there are women represented in this room who I know feel like they're like, not living up to society's expectations because they're not themselves mothers or, or married. Or, and that's something that we just need to understand that in Jesus and in the church, in the New Testament world that we have been given as the kingdom of God, that's no longer true. We're all brothers and sisters. Uh, we're all mothers and fathers. And we're all given that calling in life. And yet, uh, in this story, Hannah finds herself at the risk of losing her personhood. Of, of, of losing her sense of like identity because the only thing she had in life to make her... Um, matter is having children, especially having sons. And so she's in a pretty desperate place. And she isn't really eating. She's just crying a lot. And apparently her co-spouse, I guess that's what you would call them. This is not an endorsement of polygamy, by the way, because every time it shows up in the Bible, it's a disaster. But her co-spouse uh, is a bully, you know, which is the worst kind of co-spouse. Uh, <laughs> you know, at least they could be nice. But she's a bully, and she's always picking on her and making fun of her because she can't have any, any kids. And so she goes to her husband, or she actually just is crying, and Elkanah finds her. And he says something that, at first blush, appears to be the worst love song ever written, Am I Not More to You Than Ten Sons? Um, but actually, if we, if we look through like the cultural lens, he's actually doing something pretty beautiful here. He's saying, like, your value to me is not... Uh, dependent on your ability to have children. Like, I love you as you are. Um, doesn't necessarily come through necessarily. But anyway, so she's, she's in a pretty, pretty hard and, and dark place, and what she ends up doing is, uh, is taking her pain somewhere, and that's the first thing we see in this text. Hannah's inclination was to take her pain to God. That's what she does with her pain. She takes it to God. She doesn't take it to Elkanah. She doesn't take it to her rival, um, which would have been a disaster. She's, uh, she, she, what she does instead is choose to take it to the place of worship and to cry out before God. Where do you take your pain? When you're overcome with anxiety, when you're feeling frustrated, where do you take your pain? Where do I take uh, mine? 
Um, it's not as if God is the only legitimate place to take pain. He's, he's not the only legitimate place, but Hannah takes it there first, and there's something instructive for us in that, that maybe we're actually shortcutting an opportunity to have uh, God meet us in the deep places uh, in ourselves simply by taking things to him first as opposed to getting on the phone or doing what actually most of us do, which is try to not feel what we're feeling. Uh, that's what I do. I just get busy. I start cooking or I'll go running, or, um, or I'll have a beer. I'll do something to try to not feel the pain and, and, and make myself active instead of just sitting and feeling the pain, which is what Hannah does. She takes it all the way to the bottom, and she does it in God's presence. Uh, I've been working on this thing with my therapist right now. <laughs> I've been working on this thing like it's like it's a like we've we've been reorganizing our garage. I, I've been working on this thing with my therapist where he's he's helping me become more comfortable with feeling pain um, because I don't naturally want to feel it, and uh, I naturally want to find ways around it and uh, manage it in that way or manage my life um, and and not like become too, uh, uh, like make it too obvious to people. And so one of the, he gave me an illustration uh, a couple months ago that's been really helpful to me. He talks about um, how like when people are climbing Everest, which I've never done and never will do, um, but Jenny Wright, I don't know if she's here, she's actually done at least this first part, which is pretty cool. Uh, she can correct me after the second service. But uh, when you, when you, when you uh, try to do like summit Everest, you start by first getting up to base camp. And then you stay there for a while just to acclimate yourself to the elevation because if you've ever had elevation sickness, you know, if you've ever just like sort of like dropped in all of a sudden on Salt Lake or, or, or Denver, it's like it can be pretty, pretty uh, unmooring. Un, un and so you, you climb up base camp, you stay there, and then you go up to like camp one, and then you go back down to base camp. And then you'll go to like camp one and then camp two and then back down to base camp. You're like, this is taking forever. It's like, right, but you don't want to start just walking up the mountain because you will get elevation sickness and that's a really dangerous thing to have happen to you. In other words, what he's been saying to me is like, it's going to take a long time to climatize yourself to pain. It's going to take a while. So maybe like we hear Hannah, like Hannah takes her pain to God. And we're like, oh, um, I'm going to do that this week. First time I get frustrated, first time I have a hard conversation, first bad email that comes in, first time I want to just like leave the kids and just walk off into the woods. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, in that moment, take my pain to God. And I, I'm just going to say, that's probably not going to happen. But what you can do is just be curious with where you are right now. Like find yourself when you're oh, like, oh, I'm looking at my phone to deal with the, the fact that I just had a hard conversation. Like just start to be kind of curious about yourself. Like, oh, I'm doing that again. Or like to quote Julia Roberts from Notting Hill, like I'm just a man standing in front of an open refrigerator asking it to love him. You know, it's like be, just be curious about the ways in which like I, in a moment of distress, rather than sitting in the distress and, and maybe even inviting God into the distress, I'm looking for shortcuts, ways ways out of it. Hannah's inclination was to take it to God, and I'll just say to kind of let you off the hook, that was a decision that probably had been built over years, not like a one-time thing, over years and years and years of practicing this kind of like lament. Was she in a place where she could, in the moment, take her, take her sadness, her sorrow to God? The second thing we see Hannah modeling for us is that worship is a decision made in the midst of waiting. It's not something that is always like overflowing. She leaves the encounter with Eli, she goes home and she eats, uh, and, and it's like a way of her saying, like, I'm submitted to whatever is next. There's no guarantee that anything's going to happen. Um, you, I mean, Eli speaking these words over her wasn't some like magic trick. There was just like, he was just basically blessing her. Like, I hope it goes well for you. And she goes home and she submitted to this. And what she does is she wakes up the next morning and goes uh, and worships God. 
Worship is, um, is something that we choose to do even when we don't necessarily feel like it. Worship, um, someone said this to me years ago and it stuck with me. Worship, a good way to understand it, is ascribing worthship. So when you're worshiping, you're not necessarily like agreeing with what you're feeling. You're agreeing with what is ultimately true. And if you grew up like I did in a sort of a pseudo, like charismatic environment, or maybe just a flat-out charismatic environment, which some of you did with fire tunnels and all sorts of stuff, then you know that like there's this energy around feeling. It has to be real. If it's not real, then something's off inside of you. And so all of this momentum and energy is put around trying to get you to feel a thing, because if you're not feeling something, something is, is broken. And, 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 and sometimes that might be true, but a lot of times in those environments, what we end up doing is trying to actually force something to happen that isn't actually there. Like we try to like, and, and music is great at that, right? Music is super emotional, like, like intrinsically. We try to force something to happen because we think, I have to feel this. This has to come from overflow. And one of the things that I am so grateful for in the, in the Anglican church and the liturgical church that I came to later in life was, was this idea that like worship happens whether or not you're feeling it or not. Like you can still say something true. You can still like actually train your heart to believe something true even if you're even if you're not feeling it in that moment. Um, and this is what we are invited into in this moment to just believe that what God is asking of us even right now, even in a maybe if you're like most people, most people in America feel pretty spiritually flat right now. I'm not trying to put that on you if that's not where you are. I'm really glad you're not there. But most people that are surveyed are expressing just a real frustration with their spiritual life, like an inability to sort of feel like there's any momentum or energy behind it. There's just sort of this like, like over the whole landscape right now. And yet you're here this morning because you're doing something, you're choosing. I think of it this way. Sometimes worship is like overflow, which is awesome, right? Um, I, I mean, I, and, some, and sometimes it's like, it's like a siphoned stream. It's like something I'm having to like, like pull it out of myself. Like yeah, I said a couple weeks ago that um, like one of the ways I do that is I use my body. I don't, I don't always use my body because it's just like I am on fire right now. I Sometimes I use my body because like I am like an ice cube right now, but I'm trying to train or direct my heart with my body. Uh, another thing that I'll do uh, is I'll, during worship is I'll, is I'll work over memories. So sometimes like I'll, I won't sing, which no one can tell anymore because we all wear masks, but I won't sing and I'll just be sitting there and just working the memories uh, from my life of places where I felt just really hopeless or, 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 or like there was no way forward. And then God, in some way that only God could, met me in that space of, of just a hopelessness or fear and carried me through it or provided in a way that I never would have imagined. And, and over the course of a life with God, like those memory banks begin to get filled up. You have something to draw on. Early on, you may not have very much. You may have to like lean on other people's stories. But over the course of a life with God, you begin to have those times where you're like, oh, this is a place where God really cared for me. And it's another way of just choosing in a moment to siphon out of myself the stream of worship because, because if I'm waiting for there to be like this overflowing cup, it's, 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 it's not going to happen right now. I actually have to choose this. Hannah chooses this. Worship is a decision she made uh, in the midst of waiting. And then we see this really great little thing that happens in Hannah's life, and it's this. Her prayer is answered. Some prayers are answered. Of course, by saying that, I'm implying that some prayers aren't answered. 
And in a sense, some prayers aren't answered. And if you've ever prayed, you know that. And sometimes really good prayers aren't answered. And sometimes really dumb prayers are. Like, you know, like finding a parking space in time or your team winning. You know, the rain holding off so the game doesn't get called. I mean, sometimes really, like, meanwhile, people pouring out their, their guts in a hospital for the life of their child, those prayers seem to be ignored. And we can, if we want to, take that as a, as a way of just saying, well, then therefore nothing matters. Nothing matters, and so I'm just going to do, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to pray at all. And yet the Bible, again, even though it says sometimes prayers don't seem to be answered, it says, but pray anyway. In fact, um, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, um, a man named James, who wrote the book of James, um, said, um, you have not because you ask not. He's sort of echoing his brother in that, you know, who said, like, uh, if you ask, you will receive if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be open. He's echoing his brother, like, you don't have because you don't ask. Um, the way that uh, the Archbishop William Temple said it is, uh, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't happen, which I, I always like that. Um, it's like, when I pray, sometimes things happen that otherwise wouldn't. And that's pretty amazing if you think about what prayer is as an opportunity. Like, Hannah goes and she takes her pain to God. She chooses to worship even though she's, like, destitute. And even though in the midst of that, God chooses to answer her prayer. And Friends, that is a really cool thing that God invites us into. In fact, the, the German um, Lutheran uh, theologian from the, the mid-20th century, a guy named Helmut Thielich, I think that's, a, I'm not sure. I've never, took, I took German in sixth grade. Helmut Thielich, he says, um, God is in prayer doing nothing less than offering us a share in the governing of the world. It's pretty cool. That that's actually what prayer is. It's not just like God's already figured out what he's going to do anyway. No, if you read the Bible, um, just in general, that's good. But if you read like through the Bible, you'll see again and again where God's going to do a thing and then someone stands up and says, won't you do this instead? And God says, ah, I will do that instead. Now, is that, is, is that me, God changing his mind? I don't know. We're not talking about that right now. All I know is that the Bible wants you to understand, the writers of scripture want you to understand that you have an invitation into the presence of God to ask for a thing and that sometimes God says yes that he wouldn't say if you didn't ask. He wouldn't say otherwise. Some prayers are answered. And it's an incredible gift in that sense to be invited into this place. Whatever you're feeling or whatever your life is right now, this is what we get called into as Christians, into the presence of God to ask for something. Hannah is a model for us in how to live in the midst of uncertainty and sorrow. Her decision to take her tears to God shows us what's available to us if we'll learn to take our tears to God. Um, I remember growing up hearing this, this hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Maybe you've heard it. Uh, it's written by a guy named Joseph Scriven in 1855. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, to share, sorry. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And I remember hearing that as a kid and going, that's so cute and quaint and nice. And like, what a sweet thing. I was struck this week when I read about Joseph Scriven. Joseph Scriven is a man who suffered from mental illness and depression and anxiety his whole life. He lost two wives to an early death. One, a drowning accident, and the other to just a terrible disease that, that died um, right after they got married. 
His own life was marked by severe suffering and depression, so much so that his drowning death at the end of his life is to this day not known if it was accidental or not. And yet he had the the courage in a moment of, of clarity to say, there is a pain in life that follows us around uh, like a shadow. But what, what peace we forfeit when we don't take that pain to God. What's available to every one of us in here is to not have to live your life alone. You don't have to do it alone. And I know that we do it with one another, and that is true. But God also is giving us full and clear pathway to his own room, his own self, where we can be with him. And so in the few minutes remaining, I just want to give you a couple of things to say, here's how you might begin to pray this week. And I use the word begin intentionally because Anthony Bloom in his book, Beginning to Pray, is a person who has been praying for his whole life, says, we're always beginning to pray. We're always in the posture of, I'm just learning, I'm just beginning this. It's just a way of kind of acknowledging that like, there's always more to go. There's always so much, infinitely more to go. Because if God is actually eternal and infinite, and this is a pretty cool like metaphysical thing, but like there will never be, this is why heaven could go on forever and ever and ever. Because you'll never plumb the depths. You'll never get to the place like, now I know it all. It's like, no, you won't know it all. You'll always in some ways be beginning. You'll always be, or as Aslan the lion famously said, going further up and further in. So beginning to pray, I just want to give you four things and I want to invite you to do it this week. So here they are. First one, Um, decide to take back time. Uh, Most of us say, I don't have time for this. And, And Bloom says in his book, if we try to waste a little less time, there will be more of it. If we, and I, I love this image, if we use the crumbs of wasted time to try to build short moments for recollection and prayer, we may discover that there is quite a lot of it. I don't know about you, but every Sunday at 9.30, it always happens right before I walk up to preach, my phone tells me what my screen time report is of the week before. Did all of you get yours at 9.30 on Sunday morning? Um, and it, it yeah, like, yes, I don't know how to change that. If anyone knows how to change that, I would appreciate having that not be the last thing I see before I come up here every week. It's, it's a little discouraging. If we just began to take the collected crumbs of wasted time, we might discover that we actually have quite a lot of it, Bloom says. Decide to take back time. Second thing, when you pray, be in the moment that you are in. In fact, Bloom recommends, and I recommend this too, actually say out loud, I am here with God in this moment only. The way our bishop um, would help us when we, during early during COVID, he, he had like these uh, prayer calls that you could like go on. He would just lead you through a meditation. And he would say every single week, and I loved it so much, he's like, don't think about the future right now. The future can wait for you. Like you are in this moment with God. I'll, I'll actually say this, like God is with me in this moment and this moment only. Not to say he hasn't been with me in all moments, but he is only here now with me. Learning to be present is a really, really difficult thing. Probably most of us, if you're anything like me, live constantly in the future or in the past. Being in the moment is actually the hard work. And yet, it's the only way I think we'll actually be able to pray in the moment where we are in right now. Um, There's lots of ways to do this. Breathe deeply. Settle yourself into a space. Be in the moment that you're in. Third, this is another thing Bloom says, and I'm kind of surprised that this came out of the mouth of an Orthodox person, but he says, find something that is stirring you and follow it. Like, don't be afraid to let your heart guide you. And I think sometimes we think that that's wrong. 
Um, and yet he's just like, no, no, if there's something that is like lit of a fuse in you, go to it because God might be there with you. He might be waiting for you in that thing. And so I actually have for me, like this is how this works in my life. I have a playlist that I have built over the course of a, of a couple years that are songs that I know when I play them, everything inside of me just settles. And, and I've cried to many of these songs. I have, I have felt the presence and the love of God to many of these songs. And they're just like reminders. Like find something that's going to, so whatever, whatever that is for you. I also have a couple of places in my house. One is outside when it's not 30 degrees. One is inside when it is 30 degrees uh, or raining. And those two places are my spots. That's where I go to be with the Lord. And they're, they're comfortable. I can be there for a long period of time. Um, like find a place where you're going to be comfortable, where you can just take a moment, find something that stirs you. Mark the places in your Bible that have meant something to you and go back to them again and again. Don't be afraid to like use these things as ways because here's what you're trying to get to God. God's not going to be like, wait a second, you're manipulating yourself. Like I want this to be for real. God's not like that. He's like, oh, you're that desperate to come to me. Find something that stirs you. Lean on the prayers of the church. You know, we're Anglicans, so we have to say this, but like the great thing about being Anglicans is that we have a book full of prayers. The Psalter, the Psalms, Psalter is a fancy way of saying it. The Psalms are 150 prayers. Lean on prayers that have been written for you. Find something that has connected with you. The prayers of the saints. Go to these things and, 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 and be with them. Like they, they will guide you. They can coach you. And then finally, I just want to say in prayer, be yourself, which is probably maybe a little, a little too cute. But prayer is an opportunity to strip the ego and to just be a child with God. Um, you don't have to impress him. He's unimpressible. You don't have to be more than you are. You don't have to feel things other than you're feeling. You don't have to be more spiritual. God doesn't particularly like, like high and lofty language. Um. If you, if you have kids in here, just imagine how you would want your kids to come to you. If you don't have kids in here, just imagine how you would like to be able to go to someone, just honestly, as yourself. You're God's child. Be unimpressive. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That anybody who doesn't become like a child can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That unless we would become little like that, so decide to take back time, be in the moment you're in, find something that stirs you, and be yourself. And friends, um, I'll just quote Bloom once more in, in closing. He says, you cannot, having never prayed before, start with 18 hours of dialogue and prayer with God continuously like this while you do other things. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> Thanks for letting us off the hook. But he says, but you can easily single out one or two moments and put all your energy into them. Simply turn your eyes Godwards and smile at him and go into the moment. Try it this week. Take your pain there. Take the flatness. Take whatever you're feeling. Take your joy. Take your desires. Take your unmet desires. Take the frustration of years of unmet desires. Take it there. God wants that. I was uh, in a coffee shop once in Roswell, Georgia, when I had one of those encounters with God where I burst into tears in a very public place. And it's a terrible thing. It's only happened a few times, um, thankfully, because I'm a proud person. 
Um, but I was uh, in uh, Land of a Thousand Hills coffee shop, and uh, I was just sort of meditating and thinking about the Trinity. And um, I had this moment, this vision, where, like, uh, here, can we put the icon up? That's Rublev's famous icon. Haven't, haven't seen it in a minute, but there it is. Um, where I, like, walked into the room and, like, turned the corner, and there was the Trinity at the table. I'm not here to talk about the, like, anthropomorphizing God. I'm just saying the Trinity was at the table, and I turned the corner, and, and, the, and this is why I started to cry. And they all turned and looked at me and smiled. Because I probably, like some of you, have felt that I'm a burden to God, probably because I felt like I'm a burden to people. God wants you. He's excited to have you. You're always welcome exactly as you are. God sees you trying, fumbling this week, and he smiles. In Luke 18, uh, we begin with this verse. And then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. It was... um, it's funny, there's very few things in the, the New Testament, in the Gospels, that is clear Jesus really, really wants us to get. Um, this, is the, this is the top of it. He wants you and me to know and to not lose heart that we have an opportunity and an invitation to be with our Father, to be with God, to not do life apart from him, to not do it alone. And so may you, this week, find a moment to, as Anthony Bloom says, be present, smile at God, and go into that space with him. Bless you all. Grace and peace. You are loved. We'll see you next week. Join us for prayer Thursday morning in here. Love to see you. Bye. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.